Morgan, I was reading over your blog, and you've got a post about did Jesus wear flip-flops? And in that post, you quote a passage from the message from Ecclesiastes 9 that I just think in some ways really captures sort of a piece of this decade that we sometimes miss. Yes. So I'll just read it. Seize life. Eat bread with gusto. Drink wine with a robust heart. Oh, yes, God takes pleasure in your pleasure. Dress festively every morning. Don't skimp on colors and scarves. Relish life with the spouse you love. Each and every day of your precarious life, each day is God's gift. It's all you get in exchange for the hard work of staying alive. Make the most of each one. Whatever turns up, grab it and do it and heartily. Welcome to Become Good Soil. I'm your host, Morgan Snyder, a podcast for men choosing a decade of excavation. We were never meant to walk alone. I've had the privilege in this decade of excavation to walk with some really good friends. And two of those friends, John Dale and Aaron McHugh, are joining me in the studio I'm really excited to get into our first of a series of conversations of the good, the bad, and ugly, and what it's looked like for us to take this journey even farther in becoming good soil. So, John and Aaron, just diving into the conversation, why? I mean, we're circled up on these series of conversations on this decade of becoming good soil and decade of excavation is what strikes you about that so, so so much of you know this this decade is about in a sense the hard work you know we talk about things um like the excavation yep. uh taking the lower seat you know it's really a season where we're serving we're not the king mm-hmm. yet and so just this reminder that in the midst of that that God is giving us life one day at a time. That He's giving us, you know, the wife of our youth. He's giving yes. us our kids. He's giving us these things, and that part of it is joy and play. And as I look back over you know, the last seven, eight years, for me, there's a lot of times where I just missed that. Mm-hmm. Like I missed mm-hmm. the joy of it. Mm-hmm. And I was as I was driving in this morning, you know, my daughter was playing something on the. I think some dubstep My Little Pony song on the radio. And, um, you know, I look back and, and our youngest, Aspen, who's seven now, sitting in the back seat, and she's just so happy and content. And it was like I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, just relish this for a second. Yes. And I think back to the number of times I haven't. Mm. And, and I think there is a something about just taking the joy in today yes. that is hugely valuable. Yeah. Well, it's a great intro into this conversation, Aaron, with you and, and you, John, because what's so unique about this round table this morning is that we have lived through this decade for most of a decade together. Mm-hmm. I mean, this isn't theory. This is application daily, blood, sweat, and tears. And the irony of your comment, you know, Aaron, now – you have this phenomenal podcast series that you do for other men on work, life, and play. And I was listening to it actually this morning, and I was cracking up. And I think it was the father laughing, going, it's hard to recall, but I think when all this started about a decade ago, 
Like you're the last guy I would have <laughs> who thought had joy. who had joy, who played, yeah. and now you're proclaiming it. Yeah. Like, right, John, you're right. Aaron, where was the shift? Like, what do you do with that? Well, as you were reading that, John, I was thinking that's King Solomon in his 40s, 50s, or 60s. Mm. That's not King Solomon in his 30s. Mm. And mm. one, because he probably didn't have the wisdom to speak of it. And it's oftentimes easier to speak of what was lost mm. in looking back like you did today in the back seat saying, man, why don't I turn this radio up every day when I come down the hill and listen to My Little Pony dubstep? Yes. <laughs> and yeah, so for me, I'll be 42 here in April. And at 32, it was just suffering. Mm. It was just work. It was slog. It was excavation. It was survival. It was the wife of my youth. We were clashing. Mm. It was just every category I viewed as battle. Yes. So even when we all started spending some time together eight, ten years ago, even the concept of joy or play, it was just ridiculous. Yes. It just didn't seem like there was a provision for it. Yes. And I think – this idea of, which I love the question, did Jesus wear flip-flops? Well, I remember, Morgs, you and I, I don't know, maybe six, seven years ago, yeah. we each had a different experience. We went over to Hawaii, mm-hmm. and you know they call them sandals or right. whatever. I'm like, no, they're, they're flip-flops. Right, slippers. They slippers, call that's what it is. Yeah, they call them slippers. And I remember just looking at them like, these are so not functional. Yes. You can't go very fast. You can't run in them. You, and I finally oh, you're not supposed to go fast. Right. There's supposed to be an ease to your life. So even just the discipline of wearing flip-flops has introduced joy and ease and play into my world. Whereas 10 years ago, I would have told you, I tuck in every T-shirt, I wear a belt, mm. and I don't wear flip-flops. Mm. And now they're my standard issue. Mm. And I even actually had a Pretty cool victory. I went to a business meeting a couple months ago in flip-flops. I was so happy. That's awesome. Aaron, okay, so push into that a little bit more because, I mean, we're on to some gold that as we are articulating, this wasn't our life 10 years ago. I mean, we had mentors that challenged us to say in Matthew 28 when Jesus talks about living freely and lightly in this unforced rhythm of grace, like Mm -hmm. that's actually available. Mm -hmm. I mean, for me, Psalm 23 is part of my daily meditation. And even this morning, I was meditating on, no, he prepares a feast before me in the presence of my enemies. And therefore, my cup overflows and goodness and mercy follows me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord like forever. And that means right now in this decade of a lot of mess, decade of young career, young marriage, young kids, busy, busy, busy. But these mentors are putting in front of us the possibility and the disruption of their own lives that play is not only available, but it's actually essential. It's a fuel. It's a manifestation of joy. And joy is one of the primary currencies of the kingdom of God. And it's one of our primary weapons against evil. So flip-flops are standard issue now. You work for a huge company, international role, an executive position in an international company. And flip-flops are standard issue, like, and you just said, Aaron, putting them on was an act. Like, take me back into the decade, and let's all go back there for a minute and say, 
when did you make that first step towards I'm claiming joy, I'm choosing play in the midst of my circumstances? Yeah. I remember, you know, say 32, 34, 35, really being occupied with outcomes, Mm -hmm. measurement, checklists, tasks, worry about tomorrow, uh, worry about success. And I think at that time, because everything felt like if I could survive through this, whatever this was, this part of today, well, then maybe tomorrow will be easy. Mm. And I think boyishness in that is that the easy is available now despite circumstance but I couldn't see that so I couldn't see that when John's coming down the hill that the music being loud and his daughter giggling was the ease and the lightness of life because I was just looking at the clock that I was seven minutes late getting down the hill so I was just preoccupied with whatever that measurement stick was whatever that outcome was and I think one of the things that you and I talked about, Morgan, years ago was seeing is believing versus believing is seeing. Yes. And I think that's a fundamental shift. If you're holding out, when I was holding out for evidence of ease so that I would believe in it, mm-hmm. so that I believe play was afforded to me, yes, I didn't find it. Mm. It was nowhere to be found. Mm. And the moment I'd begun kind of a process of Sonship really is where mm-hmm. it started for me was accepting the spirit of sonship for me began to allow me to start believing and I started seeing. Yes. I started seeing all kinds of ease. It was always there. Yeah. But I'd never found it before. And I was so insistent on, well, I will when yes. I see enough or there seems to be a window in my life of a sliver where I could shove some play in or whatever it was. Yeah. Or if I played, it was for survival to let off steam to go back into the battle. Mm. It wasn't just ease and yes. fun and play. Yes, It was always calculated. And then beginning to believe that play was available, that mm. ease, that light living, that his burden is light and mm. easy and he puts no heavy thing upon us. Mm. I was probably 38 Mm. before I had a clue. Mm. Aaron, you know, we've logged a lot of miles on the bike together, just spinning it out, spinning out our frustration, our agitation, our discouragement, our depression, bitching a lot. I mean, (laughs) I was reflecting this morning, most of our miles this decade have been logged, if not in some crisis battle for each other, families, children, wives. It's sneaking in a bike ride and starting with, you think that's bad? Let me tell you bad. And just blowing steam, right? But it was working it out, kind of as Paul says, we work out our salvation over a decade where we were calling that out of each other. Mm -hmm. And one of the stories that's deeply woven into that is the joy bucket is an example because you're an intense athlete. You've always been. You're the kind of guy you don't want to see in a race lineup, and yet you have this joy bucket in the back of your truck, and you've not always had it. Tell that story by way of example. Yeah. 
so I have this little MSR pocket rocket that I bought. You know, it's like thirty-eight bucks or something, forty-two dollars. Like a camp stove. Yeah, a little camp stove. And I remember I bought it in my early thirties, thirty-four-ish, something like that. And I had some trip that got canceled that I didn't go on, and so it, it sat in my basement for I don't know four years, six years. It was a lot, a while. And I remember telling you about it, and I brought it on. You and I and another friend of ours were out scouting, I think, for a hunting trip you guys were going to do. Yeah. And I went ahead and threw it in the car and pulled it out. I said, my first half hour I've ever used this thing. And you had mentioned, like, well, there's a joy-to-use ratio of who cares if you only use a half hour, how great was the joy you got from that? Hey, that's a good point. <laughs> Maybe I should just leave it back in the back. So I went ahead in, in my truck, left it in the back. And um, for triathlon, I use a bucket for my transition state going in and out of transitions between the sports. And so I had some stickers. I've been keeping in a folder waiting for a good day when I was right. joyful and something cool to put it right. on. So I had this white bucket from Home Depot. I slapped a bunch of stickers on it and threw my joy-to-use ratio stove in it. Mm. And then I remember when you and I or, and John and whoever else, I would just start flipping up my trunk yes. and saying, oh, you want some coffee? Oh, you want some ramen? So I started getting those little Starbucks Via packs and so I just kind of set up a mobile kitchen, and then I started throwing headlamps in it, all this other stuff that sits in my basement yes. that during my 30s I felt discouraged about because it's getting dust. Yes. Like, I'm going to throw it in the back, and if I use it twice, I'll be so happy. Yes. So we, then we'd start using what I called my joy bucket. Let me pull out the joy bucket, and as you said, it's endless. You know, now so I've got everything from spare <laughs> socks to, you know, food rations yes. to yes. – if something got bad, my wife kicked me out for a night, I could sleep in my car, yes. <laughs> whatever it is. <laughs> oh. and, and that's one of the distinctions. When you tell that story, Aaron, I remember vaguely, and John and I were just talking about this morning about our 20s, like 20s, like it's all blue sky. It's all wide open because regardless of your story, you're the center of it. No matter how noble your mission is, you're the center of your story and not much depends on you. In other words, I know that might feel harsh to a lot of guys in their young 20s, but you hit those milestones. You marry the woman, you get the job, you have the kids, and all of a sudden you realize my life matters to other people yeah. and it's not about me. Yeah. And that's the huge disruption and in some ways the the graduation into the 30s, like it or not. Yeah. And I remember when we would squeeze in a 45-minute ride in our 30s, we felt like heroes. I mean, I felt like I had just gone to Hawaii. Mm -hmm. We, you know, bang out an hour early Saturday morning before all the needs of the family would hit us. And we felt like champs, but I didn't have time like for coffee. Like we just had to bang out a workout and then you'd pop open the, the hatch and the pocket rocket and we'd sit there and it, it'd be like an extra 12 minutes, but it was all play. Uh -huh. It was inefficient. Uh -huh. And the bike ride did something for my body but the pocket rocket did something for my soul as a son. It was like you're cared for. And as you were saying, John, like today matters. You know, mm -hmm. it's today. Today's the gift with the little Aspen in the back seat, and she's seven and she's going to grow up. But today she's forever seven years mm -hmm. old. Right. I love that. John, how about you? React to it. The shift when you began to believe in the possibility that the category of play was available and then kind of how it moved into being essential. Hmm. So, more, I, th I think back, you know, 
five, ten years ago, and I was so busy, uh, so busy trying to be successful yeah. that I took this category of, I would almost call it adventure, and I went into it. So I was whitewater kayaking. I was doing all these things, but it was really out of desperation. Mm. And even when I was doing those things, I still had the the performance hat on that I've got to improve, I've got to get better, mm-hmm. very goal-driven. And it isn't until, really until more recently, that I have seen the value of the unproductive play. Play for the sake of play yes, and just for the sake of joy. And so I think that that's really only happened as I've moved into more of sonship where I'm getting my identity and my validation out of being a son rather than out of all success, performance, all these things. Because that's the only thing that's allowed me to slow down my schedule enough to actually have space Mm -hmm. to play. Mm. And John, when you say that, just to kind of give visibility, when you say driving and busy and performance, it wasn't just adventure. I mean, you're talking about you're running a major company. You are building a portfolio. You are building your bank account, right? Right. I mean, I just want these guys to hear. Yeah, yeah. So, so, I mean, in my early 20s, I had a a sales company. We sold advertising. You know, I had 15-plus employees. And that began sort of a decade of just chasing after success Mm -hmm. in all these different forms. And so through different business ventures and sort of entrepreneurship. Um, But at at its core, I really believe now that a big part of that was just a drive for validation. Mm -hmm. And because of that, that caused me uh, to, no matter how successful I was or wasn't at the time, I was never satisfied. Mm -hmm. And I always lived slightly beyond my means. Yes, which there's a price to pay for that. There's a price in time, there's a price in relationships, there's a price financially. And so, yeah, I was busy. And, and, and then out of that, there was this piece of me that wanted an escape from that. And so you know, I figured out pretty quick that I don't really enjoy golf. Mm. And so, you know, the next, the next thing you know, I, I find these other things that I do enjoy. And they were extreme. They were adrenaline-type activities. But I was the guy that I was out earlier than everyone else yes. and paddled longer than everyone else yes. and had to do the run more times than e- anyone yes. else. So even in that, I didn't find as much joy yeah. as I should have done mm-hmm. because I was trying so hard. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I hear both of you articulating that you can do all the activity you want that might look like joy, but it's all about motivation. It's all mm-hmm. about the motives of your heart and you can throw yourself into adventure. And if your heart is not open to being a son, right. then there's just too much attached to it, that it'll just be one more place of coming through, of proving yourself, of desperately reaching out for identity. Right. I mean, there's another quote that I read this morning. I don't remember the exact wording, but it was along the lines of like, it's up to you to figure out when I'm playing and when I'm working. Mm-hmm. And, and I think now that there are times when, you know, I think over a project that the, the three of us were just working on recently. Yeah. And it was work. Like we were working with vendors and figuring out right. details. 
but there was so much joy in it. Yes. Like if someone had looked from the outside and not seen what our hands were actually working yes. on, they might have thought we were telling each other jokes. Yes. Right? And so I think there is something in that. Now, sure, there, there's times for, you know, solemn and serious and yes. all, all of that. But I think that we miss a lot of opportunities for joy. Yes. Yeah, it's so good. I just can't tell you how good it is to be in the studio with you guys today because it's um, – We've traveled a lot of these miles. I think I'm feeling, feeling first of all, the Father's affection over us that we fought for this and also feeling like, oh, it's so fruitful. Like good soil works. You know, this parable that we've really just given our hearts to of we want to become good soil and do the hard work of excavation and remove all the debris in our soil so it can become fertile land for God to do whatever he wants to, plant whatever he wants to, so that we can grow and be entrusted with whatever portion of the kingdom God wants to put under our care. I'm feeling like the Father saying, it works. Mm-hmm. It works because mm-hmm. we're, we're still in this decade in some significant ways, and yet it's already bearing so much fruit in our relationships, in our work, in our play, with our wives, with our kids. It's really good. Two things I'm thinking as we're sitting here is I'm thinking about the guy who's commuting in. He's stuck in the car for an hour and a half each mm-hmm. way. And what I want to say is as you're thinking to yourself, I'm never going to have this. I'm never going to have two other guys to have stories like this with. Or I bet they do this every other week. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to trump both of those yes. and say they're both not true. Yep. That yep. this is a choice. And this is fought for, and it is not easy. Yes. And we scheduled this a month and a half ago. Yep. And we sent each other meeting invites on the calendar, and you denied all of them you couldn't do <laughs> exactly. until we could find one we could. Right. So the ridiculousness for us is that this is, goes back to that we're, we're believing in this. Yes. Mm. We're believing the value in this. Exactly. We're believing that this is for our own redemption and restoration. Yep. And that we need each other to become who we are to become. right? And the other part that I'm aware of is that some of the best soil to grow good things in is manure and ashes. Mm. For most of us, there's a lot of manure that we can look back in our life and say, oh man, that just, uh, that smells awful. Mm. Mm. I can't believe I was like that. Right. I can't believe I made that choice. I can't believe I, whatever that, that story is. But the beauty is, like, Jesus recycles everything. Yes. So the manure of our life, he can actually grow some great stuff mm. in. And the ashes and the stuff that you burned to the ground and said, enough with this. Mm. I always picture Mount St. Helens when it blew its top, this massive volcano. It's one of the best places in the entire country to go visit wildflowers. Mm. So whatever manure... I have whatever ashes I have and whatever stories I tell myself of how impossible this is through sonship mm-hmm. is totally different. Yes. It's all possible. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's all green stuff and it's all time. And there's no microwave. Morgan talks about this a lot. There's no shortcut. You can try and cut the trail, lop off a half a mile. Mm-hmm. You're going to pay for it. Mm. It's just not worth it. Mm. This is the long, slow work. But if you wear flip-flops, it's a lot more fun. <laughs> yes, yes. 
Oh, Aaron, that's awesome. I'm picturing one of our mentors and companions on this, Chuck, and his counsel. You know, so much of the fruit of this decade came from us not being orphans, not only receiving a spirit of sonship from our Father, but choosing humility to submit ourselves to older men, to identify men who are farther along than us, right? Jeremiah 6 of, of follow the ancient paths. And there are actually men that have gone before us. That's news to most of us because the message of our culture and the word of the enemy is go it alone, right? Be self-sufficient. Don't have any chinks in your armor. But we've made a choice to choose humility, to have a posture of questions rather than answers, a question mark behind most of our sentences rather than an exclamation point. Mm. I mean, in all of our stories, you dig into it. Our early 20s, we all had exclamation points. Yeah. We all knew the answers. Yeah. And now we have a lot more question marks. And we were on this topic, and I was you know, upside down, as I often am. And Chuck came over and gave me a big hug, and he said, it takes a lot of shit to make good soil. Mm. And when you hear that from an, a man that's older, that's suffered, that you know the shit and the mire that he's been through, mm-hmm. and you see the soil of his life in the wildflowers of Mount Helens, mm-hmm. I mean, man, it goes deep. And I remember another mentor, John, you know, early in these days, I was upside down one time and he opens up, I think it's Proverbs 14.4. And I always miss this because of the kind of the religious fog that so often cloaks God's words of life to us. But it says, when the oxen are present, the manger is not empty, but from the strength of an ox yields a harvest. And John looked me in the eye and said, Morgan, let me explain what that means. If there's oxen in the barn, then you're going to have a lot of life because they get things done on a farm and you're going to have a lot of shit in the barn. Mm. But no oxen, no shit, but no shit, no life. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) the question is, how much life do you want? It isn't how do you get rid of the shit? It's how much shit are you willing to shovel because it's directly proportional to life. Mm. And I think we're shoveling a lot, but I think one of the things we're kind of naming here, it's good to say is like, we're shoveling different, right? We're still shoveling a lot, but there's more joy and we're fighting for joy and we're seizing joy because we're shoveling not to earn but we're shoveling because this is a broken world and we've got work to do and we want to see the world made better mm-hmm. and we want to become and we've signed up to be in the kingdom of God and to be sons, to be sons of thunder. And that requires shoveling a lot, but life always comes along mm-hmm. with it. So I have a question to ask for us and for the guys listening is my wife years ago started distinguishing between what she called vacation Aaron Hmm. and then the Aaron I live with the rest of the time when he's on vacation. (laughs) So for two to four weeks a year, Uh what she was really saying is you're actually really kind of fun. Yes. I like you. I like you. And then we get back from vacation. She goes, where'd vacation Aaron go? So the question I just want to pose is for each of us and for the guys listening is what did your wife your kids, your friends, what did they once love about you? Mm. What's that part in your 20s yes. when your wife or your youth said, oh, my, I choose you. You're so 
wonderful fill in the blank. And then the second question is, if you're telling yourself, well, when I have vacation or when I get a bike ride or when I get a promotion or when I get that check or when I get the next house or when it doesn't snow again, I don't have to shovel it, whatever the thing is you say, what is it that you're waiting for? What is it that we're waiting for to become our vacation, playful, easy, light selves? And I found it really helpful to write those things down Mm. and just say, yeah, what do I tell myself? Mm. I will be vacation Aaron when. Yeah. And it was a really long list, Mm. pretty sad list. Mm. I mean, vacation, basically what you're saying is I don't have to live a real life for a week or two Mm. or three or four. Mm. So in pretend life, I'm really easy. Wow. I'm really fun. I'm really playful. I go at a good flip-flop pace. But in real life, forget all that Mm. because I got shit to get done. So I just found it really helpful to say, what are those things I'm telling myself? I'll have to line up in one given day for me to be vacationing in normal life. And it's really helpful. And to look at it and realize, oh, this is awful. And so I began then praying through some of those things. Okay, what are the disciplines I need to put on flip-flops? I need to untuck my T-shirt. <laughs> you know, what are, what are my practical things? What are the spiritual things? Like Jesus come into my belief that if I don't work hard, I'm going to be impoverished like I was as a kid. And this was years. Mm. This was not an exercise on a Saturday morning. This was years of us having conversations yes. and encounters and, and even giving each other feedback of like, man, yeah, Aaron, you really are kind of a pain when, oh, John, I hate hearing that. Yes. Really? I, oh, I know I am. She said so too. Yes. But thank you because I don't want to be that intense, driven, outcome-oriented, metric-only, non-vacationary. Yes. Aaron, that's so important. I'd love to just kick it around. Like, let's talk about that. Let's pick one. Like you said, it's not a Saturday morning. I mean, it's a decade question is what you're presenting. But by way of example, let's give that some time. Hmm. Morgan and John, I have two questions that I think would be helpful for, for us and for guys listening. And I'm using these as examples of questions I've asked myself. Is what did your wife once love about you? So that's first question is, you know, when we were 20, 22, 28, whatever those, 32, and when our wife said, I choose you, John, Aaron, Morgan, what was her favorite thing? Oh, she loved it when, oh, we were so fun. Remember when we, in that was some of our best self. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think what can happen in the course of the 30s is our best self gets buried underneath all this obligation, underneath the weight of our life matters to other people. Yes. It's a tidal wave. Right. You show up all of a sudden at whatever 30X is, and the tidal wave knocks you off your feet. Because in your 20s, in our 20s, like we said, we get to be selfish. Right. Right. It's about us. It's about our adventure, our conquest, our cool. 30s is overwhelming when that first wave comes out. Yes. And I think what happens is that in that thing, that best part, that playful part, that joyful part yes. about you or parts 
gets buried underneath the weight that we take on. Yes. So what I did in this question is I started with just trying to be honest with what was that thing mm. that she loved most about me? Why did she choose me? Mm. And it's not a question about my marriage. It's more a question about me, Aaron. Mm. Where did I go? Yes. Where did that great part about me that was boyish and playful and easy mm-hmm. and light, where did it go? Mm. What's standing in my way of being vacation, Aaron, which is the same as what she's saying is, that's the guy I chose. Mm. I like you on vacation. Yes. Sometimes a little less when we're not. So, Aaron, it's fascinating that you ask that right now because we were actually at dinner the other night. And, Morg, you asked my wife, Amy, what it was that she liked so much about me. Yes. And one of the things that she said was my sense of humor. Mm. And... The fascinating piece of it is, I think now, and she's even said to me and said to others, John doesn't laugh out loud much, Mm. which is really sad, Mm. right? So we're at a movie and it's funny and I tend to internalize it. Mm -hmm. Like I'm not the loud laugher, which my wife certainly (laughs) is. (laughs) Yep, she is. (laughs) But I just think, as you were saying that, yeah, I mean, that's part of what she loved about me was that I was super lighthearted. Mm. Things weren't that serious. And if, I, if I'm if i honest, now, I think a lot of the times when, you know, aside from me being funny, I think, you know, when we're in a situation that's funny, part of the reason I don't laugh out loud is I, I'm not actually fully present. mm Wow. Because of the cares of life. Right. Right. The worries like I'm, of this world. I'm not actually there. And so it isn't necessarily that it wasn't that funny. It was that I didn't get to joke because I wasn't even listening. Oh. And that's really sad. Wow. Really sad. And so I think this is a good example of the kind of questions that we ask each other in relationship yes. and the impact they have on our lives. Exactly. Because I walk away from that question just incredibly convicted, not in a condemning way, but in a, oh, yeah, that's right. Right. And I like to think of myself as a pretty present person. Right. But if I'm honest, if there's an opportunity to escape, my mind's often elsewhere. John, it it illustrates a really important point. You met Amy. You guys were young. I mean, you were in high school, right? Yeah. And so you lived through that decade of it's all blue sky. I mean, in other words, you and Amy had the same heart that you have now, but it was a kind of a selfish decade. And, And when we say selfish, we don't mean sin. We mean maturation, right? There's a certain maturation, maturing that a man goes through, and it's supposed to be about him. And he's Mm -hmm. supposed to try it out, try it on, explore and discover and wonder and and see what's out there and begin to find out who he is. But what I really appreciate that you're putting words to is your same heart has always been engaged with Amy, but under the pressures that God allows – in the 30s, that shift to not be present happened because life was heavy Mm. and there was a lot on your shoulders. And now through this decade, 
you've been going after the hard work of excavation to say, yeah, yeah, Jesus is right. In this world, we'll have trouble. And it only increases as kingdoms increase. But it sounds like you're growing in your ability to be present to her more and more. Would you say that's true, that you're coming out of that? Yeah, it's absolutely true. And what I think what Aaron's question just highlighted is even though I think I'm so much better than I was, there are still areas where I still need to grow. Yeah. Which is good. That's that's encouraging. Well, Aaron, your question just hits me hard. You know, when we grew up, my dad worked seven days a week and we'd go on vacation for seven days every year. And what I remember, if you ask me about my childhood, is the middle five days of every vacation. And I can't even tell you where we were and what we did, but I remember I had my dad. Mm. I had my dad. And the joke in our family that actually had a sad element to it, but the joke was every vacation without exception on the last morning, my dad, first thing he'd say is party's over. That was kind of the signature line, party's over. And he wasn't saying it towards us. I know now because I'm in his shoes of he was feeling that tidal wave that you described of all the demands of his work just waiting, chomping at him. Party's over. And so Sherry made me make a vow that I wouldn't do the party's over thing because she saw that in me. She saw me go from – Vacation, Morgan, Mm -hmm. to parties over, Morgan. Get your shit together, (laughs) right? right? Game on. And so, Aaron, I mean, that question, when I put it on, when Sherry and I were married, we bought this little townhome. And I remember our first year of marriage, God rescued me through this verse in Numbers. I think it was 24 where it says, if you've recently been married, you're not to go to war, but you're to stay home and bring happiness to your wife. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was saying, you're going to be married for a lifetime to this woman. Guard this year. This is the foundation. And so it was this rescue to give me some peace to keep me from fully giving myself over to the drivenness that I was so easily signed up for. You know, so I was I was just so driven, desperately searching for validation, throwing myself into Christian ministry. That was my form. But we were pretty intentional our first year of marriage because of that first to guard our time and just be together. And we would come home from work and every night, most nights, we would spend hours talking. And we would process through our whole day and what God did and what our struggles were. And it was really rich. And I remember more times than not, I thought, man, I am married to my best friend. Like, I don't know why people say marriage is hard. Like, this is easy. I remember even one day driving the truck with John saying, I don't know, some guys seem to have really messed up wives, but My wife just doesn't seem that broken. Like, I locked out, and he just smiled and smiled. And he remembered I said that, and he told me five years later, and I go, I never said that. That's bullshit. (laughs) But we had this truly a honeymoon first year. Fast forward two years ago. You know, our marriage was mostly good, 90% awesome and 10% pretty awful. And it was this cycle of we'd continue to hurt each other deeper and deeper in the same places. And finally, felt like God wanted to tend to it. And so we had a date and we took the time to ask each other, what's my effect on you? Sherry, how do I affect you? And obviously, she's so gracious and she had many positive things to say. And then she said, and Morgan, sometimes 
your silence, your regular silence in our house with me and with our kids, it feels like you have me pinned to the ground, you have a knee on each arm, and you are taking a hot iron and pinning it against my chest. And I'm sitting there listening to my wife describe me. She's being honest. She's honoring me by telling the truth of her experience. And she knows I love her enough that I'm willing to take it because I don't want to stay there. But it's such a stark contrast to think back to my early 20s and the hours of conversation. And where did that man go? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I do think that man just felt so much sadness because of the pressures of this world. It's in that parable, the worries of this world and the deceitfulness of wealth, you know, not looking to get rich, but the deceitfulness of feeling like the debt of a mortgage and feeling the trying to get an emergency fund and the feeling of just feeling behind, right? And that was a milestone. And it sent us into marriage counseling, sent us to a marriage retreat, and we went after it. And it's really interesting timing that you'd put that question out this morning because last night, Sherry and I ended up putting the kids down and she had a really hard day. And it was a nondescript day and we didn't even have a plan for a date. But we ended up sitting on the couch and talking and she just kind of got to share some things on her heart. And John, as you were saying, there were many years that I was not present to that. And I was just thinking, how do I get through this? How do I go get some relief? I can't take any more of her crap because I got enough of my own. And instead, I felt like, you know what? This is the gold. I want to be here. I want to be now. And I don't even have to figure it out. I don't even have to solve this mess. I just listen. And then we ended up praying together and just actually inviting the Father, heart of God, to come and minister to both of us. And she woke up this morning with just a light in her eye. And we didn't accomplish anything. And it wasn't long and it wasn't extended and it wasn't planned and it wasn't budgeted. But it's become more of our normal from fighting through this decade. So there's a lot more work to be done and a lot more miles to cover. But I'm really glad to say, and I think Sherry would say if she was here, as would Leith, as would Amy, that the husband of their youth is returning Mm. with gusto. He's returning. Mm. They'd all say it. And we need to get them in the studio to hear them say it because that's the trajectory. It took Mm -hmm. a lot of momentum to get us into the mess that we're in. And it's going to take a lot of momentum to get out. But we're different men, and we have a lot more miles to travel. But the men of their youth are returning. Mm. I'm going to turn that into a bumper sticker. Yeah, buddy. The men of their youth are returning. I think for the three of us, it just keeps going back to sonship because how we're able to return to the youthful, playful, joyful men that we were before the tidal wave and before the party was over was because we have a belief today that our dad's got it. Mm -hmm. He's got it. I'm a son. I'm not the dad. Yes. Sons don't have to sweat the stuff that the dad has to sweat. Yes. So being fatherless, orphan, slave, that was concurrent with the tidal wave. Mm -hmm. It's all coming my way. I'm swept up off my feet and it's all up to me. Yes. Well, no kidding. I'm not light and easy. Of course. So no kidding. Your dad party's over. Clock's ticking. 
I got two days to drive home. I mean, so I think for us, when our dad's got it, and that's where we show up each morning, it's okay, Father, you got this, right? Mm. I can trust you, right? I'm going to purpose to trust you. I'm going to choose to trust you. I don't know where this is headed, but your shoulders are bigger, more capable, and able mm. than mine. Mm. So you you handle this. Mm. I'm right. going to try and be in this five minutes. Mm. And I think that's – if there's a key to unlock this for us, that is the beginning key. There's many other doorways past that one, but I think you have to start there in order to get to any of the other good stuff behind the main door. Morgan, another thought. As you talk about vacation and whether or not you stay engaged through the vacation, I wonder whether the answer is that we become better at vacation or whether we become better at life. Uh Right? Because part of the reason that there is that, okay, the party's over. And part of the reason that when I go out hunting, it takes me three days to decompress and quit checking my phone is because the tendency has been for life to be so full and not in the positive sense of the word full, but in the sense of every container in my life has been full to the brim. So my calendar is full to the brim. Mm -hmm. My spending of available money coming in, full to the brim and overflowing. And because there's not space, there's not margin, it creates this huge sort of juxtaposition between vacation Aaron or vacation John and work John. Yes. And I find myself more recently just wanting less Mm -hmm. rather than more Mm -hmm in so many areas of my life and being so much happier with less. Mm -hmm. You know, I spent so much time of the last, you know, of my adult life, the last couple of decades, trying to get more. Yes. Trying to get more business, trying to get more success, trying to get more money, uh, more possessions. And what I'm finding is that the joy isn't in the stuff. The joy is in the people and the experiences. Mm -hmm. And... We don't usually get to have both. If our time, if our energy, if we're so chasing after success that when we're focused like that, we sacrifice the experiences and the people. It's not that the experiences and the people don't happen. It's that we miss them. Mm. Yeah, John, I'm thinking the words that are coming to me – we went through a hard stint in our family right in the middle of this decade. Sherry got real sick, and and by the grace of God, supernaturally, she came out of that over years. And it's another story for another time, but one of the mantras that came out for our family was, no one gets everything, but mm. everyone gets something. Mm. What is your something? Run with it. Run with your something. And you're exactly right, John. There's this pressure to do it all, get it all, more, more, more. It's never enough. You're only as good as your last sale. Aaron, you know that world from the corporate world that you slog it in every day. But that thing of no, God the Father is entrusting each of us with a portion, with daily bread, Mm -hmm. you know, and some peace, that's our something. And if we focus our heart there and run with our something, 
you're right, where something enlarges, something grows, and it's, I wonder if it's the life of God in us Mm. in a daily way Mm. that bridges that gap between vacation and regular life. And I know for me, and we'll have to dive into this in another conversation because the spiritual disciplines are just one of the primary ways in this decade that that happens. And when I say spiritual disciplines, not in a religious sense, but in these activities that put us in proximity to God to receive what we can't get on our own. And they're not sexy and they're not cool and they're not awesome and they're not short and they're not easy and they're not on discount, but they work over a decade. Mm. And that for me and for so many of our peers we've seen, you know, is bridging that gap where the gap between work and play is shrinking. The gap between vacation and even Monday morning is lessening and there's hope. Mm -hmm. Great conversation, guys. Thank you for this. And maybe we'll just end with Michener's quote that we've bumped around on the edges, but I'll just read it for us to be encouraged and for all the men out there to have some nourishment for the day where he says, the master in the art of living makes little distinction between his work and his play, between his labor and his leisure, his mind and his body, his information and his recreation, his love and his God. He hardly knows which is which. He simply pursues with vision and excellence whatever he does, leaving others to decide whether he's working or playing. To him, he's always doing both. If you enjoyed this, and would like more podcasts and blogs and other resources to take this decade of excavation and go deeper, join us at becomegoodsoil.com.